Before we get started with today's show, let me tell you about another great ESPN podcast, the Dominique Fosworth Show. ESPN and Anscape contributor Dominique Fosworth's podcast is every Tuesday and Thursday, bringing his unique perspectives on football, the personalities surrounding it, and just about anything else he finds interesting or thinks you might. So check out the Dominique Foxworth Show. Listen where you are listening to this podcast. The Right Time with Bomani Jones is presented by YouTube TV. Try it free today at youtube.com slash NBA23. New users only, terms apply, cancel anytime. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Right Time. My name is Bomani Jones. Thanks for listening wherever you get your podcast. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. Coming up on this episode of The Right Time, I'm going to talk about this big dummy I read something about that y'all need to hear about. Also, your voicemails, but first. All right, so came into the NBA Finals asking the question, will the Nuggets take this? In four, in three, or in two. Obviously, I was incorrect on the in two part, right? They didn't really come to, come through in game two. I might have kind of been right about the in three part, but I was definitely right on the in four. Now, that is not to say that they swept them. Obviously, there's going to be a game five. However, it's over. You know it's over right now, and I'm going to be real with you. If you ain't know it was over after game three, it's because you just rooting. You know what I'm saying? Like, you just you you just hoping against hope. And I don't blame you so much for hoping against hope. I don't really so much know what to do with my life after the NBA Finals is over. Like, now that they done put all these, these extra break times in so that the Cats get rest, dog, I'll be out here lost. There wasn't a game on Saturday or on Sunday. I ain't know what exactly it was I was supposed to do with myself. Like, this is what I do until I don't do it no more. And then I don't do it no more. And I have about a week where I'm just out here like I don't really know what I'm supposed to do with myself. And that week seems to be coming sooner and sooner. I don't know if you guys heard, and you'll be able to tell by some of the composition of today's podcast. But after the NBA Finals go away and what we got is regular-ass baseball, it becomes a lot harder to do my job. Because, yo... It could be for real ass baseball, like the World Series. And we still can't really make nothing out of that. It's not that I don't find those things interesting or don't care about them. It's y'all. Y'all, I tell you, y'all. I could get all here and be like, boy, how about those Tampa Bay Rays? I would hear y'all throwing them phones across, you know what I'm saying? Like all those things, man. Like it's a little tough. I want the Heat to push this to seven. I want the Heat to take this as far as it can go. But I also understand this. Folks in Miami have grown tired, understandably, I would like to note, but they have grown tired of the idea that they are a team full of undrafted players. They're not undrafted players anymore. They are NBA players now. They have earned that respect and they have demonstrated that they are NBA players. I mean, and that's 100% correct. Like, it's not like when you watch those guys for the Heat, that you're like, yo, I can't believe these guys are in the NBA. Like, you don't say that about any of them. But it's seven of them. Uh, granted, I'm pretty sure that like one of them is Udonis Haslam, so that doesn't really count. But it's seven of them. It's one thing when you got a couple of these charming stories around here. But you got a whole team full of little engines. Somebody got to be the big train. Right? I think I can times seven. Like, you're asking for a lot here. And they've gotten, I just think, as far as you can expect somebody to get. Like we talked about in the last show, the energy is a finite resource. They've pushed this about as far as it could go. Now, I would also make the other note when we talk about the Heat's players as being undrafted players, okay? We don't talk about Nikola Jokic being a second-round pick, right? We talk about him in the context of being an all-time great. Because when you watch that dude, he don't look like no second-round pick. When you watch them undrafted All-Stars for the Heat, they look like undrafted All-Stars. All-Stars, but undrafted nonetheless. Like, they look like that. They seem like that. And they just look tired. Like, Jimmy Butler just looks tired and hasn't been able to bring it. Your boy Bam 
not an undrafted free agent, even like Jimmy, not a like last pick of the first round guy. He's looked really good in this series. He just got to guard that finish sheet, and he keeps trying to fold it up. And that's hard, man. It's real tough work. It's not going down. But this is where that idea, though, about the Heat having those undrafted players comes up. You look at, I think it was game four, Jokic didn't shoot well and had five fouls with nine minutes left in the game, and the Nuggets were able to keep the lead with him out. Murray did not shoot well. Michael Porter, I mean, apparently he too busy going back to the barbershop, him and Jason Tatum in there to have a contest to see who lines stay the cleanest. You know, I ain't seen that dude all series. And y'all know, I don't think anybody is as enthusiastic about Michael Porter as a basketball player than I am. He out here like, what? I'm like, come on, man. I ain't got it. He's just not here. He's just not here. And the Nuggets still won the game. They still won it, man, because they got dudes. They just have more and more dudes. Aaron Gordon's your fourth best player. Kentavious Caldwell Pope is probably about to be a two-time champion. He's the number five guy. Uh, Brown and Browner, uh, Lil Brown, I think he might be an undrafted all-star, but uh, Light Brown, if I'm not mistaken, Light Brown's a first-round pick, wasn't he? Yeah, like Light Brown, you look at him, he looked like an athlete. Like, he, he clearly does push-ups at night, you know? Like, he was the dude out there with the deck of cards. Like, eight, all right, time to do eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Jeff Green, I mean, great. do you realize that Jeff Green is going to go to his 20-year high school reunion next year? And we still don't know how good he is at basketball. Has there ever been a day in your life that you have been certain that you knew how good Jeff Green was at basketball? Not me. Not me. And you go through like his salaries, and at every point, his teams being like, "Yeah, I don't know." Like they want to talk themselves into him. Now, granted, you know, complicating factor. You know, they had to crack his cage open that one time to get in there and look at his ticker. It's an amazing story. We talk a lot about him having that open heart surgery. It looked like he had open head surgery. He has. I mean, it looked. But so much judging I can do, certainly. But he got that ball spot at the top of the head that normally stops somebody from going out that much hair. But when they they get the shot of him from the above, see, that's the thing about these 6'8 dudes. They can they can get by on that top of the head joint because ain't nobody that tall. They just got to hope that there's not a television director who decided to get too clever and come down from the overhead. Because I'm telling you now, if Kevin Durant was 5'11", he'd have had to go ball by now. Because he got that. He got that yarmulke right back there. Jeff Green got that yarmulke coming, and I'm just wondering how he going to play it when it all happens. Like, is he just going to be out here with the literal donut? Of that, I am not sure. But I guess when you're that tall and rich, you got a lot of options. You got a lot of ways to play. Now, I got on here, and I started talking about these tangential auxiliary things as they relate to the Nuggets. Because what else I'm supposed to do, right? Like, what what, what what are the other options that we talk about here? I'm watching on TV, and people are already trying to decide a forecast, whether or not the Nuggets are a dynasty, right? We went from not paying no attention to them to could it be that this could last forever in a drop of the dime. We, we so ridiculous. Like, as an industry... We so ridiculous in the way that we wind up deciding that we're going to make these pivots and we're going to go. We, we, we've talked about, wow, can Jokic be interesting? No, he's not particularly interested in that. It's not really his bag. It's not going to happen. You're just going to have to like watching him play basketball. That's, that's what this is going to be, right? And it's your reminder. Every time somebody get out here and talk about how they love seeing people be humble, Right? And how it just warms their hearts to see that humble. Bull. It might warm your heart, but I guess you don't be watching Lifetime movies now, do you? Right? You're not trying to turn on this basketball to get your chest all fuzzy. Apparently, you're trying to turn it on to see jerks. I don't know. But the Nuggets seem to have a bunch of relatively humble dudes. And ain't nobody trying to hear that. They play a fun band of basketball. I've heard people try to make the argument. You know, it's the thing about Jokic where people just don't simply like the aesthetics of the game. And you know what I came to realize about this? And this is this is like to a degree what I wonder is I find it's it's who are the people that complain the most about the aesthetics of it, right? 
because, and I ask this because I want to kind of look at this as an exploration for a lot of people of why exactly it is that they watch basketball. Because I think the point that people make really largely is he ain't jumping real high and doing that kind of stuff. And thereby that is determined to be like an aesthetically unpleasant brand of basketball. But while Michael Jordan took this whole thing to the moon, the two guys that like really elevated the NBA to the place where Jordan could take it to that next level. I think we all agree on this were Magic Johnson and Larry Bird, neither of whom were great athletes in the sense that we think about guys being great athletes. Now, now Magic was an underrated athlete. Like when you look at them pictures of young Magic and Magic would still come down there and bang on you. But what gets lost to me is the most athletic thing Magic Johnson did is the obvious. He's six foot nine to play point guard. It's the same thing that's going on with this other guy, right? But I wonder how many people have like kind of fetishized basketball to a degree where what they want to see from it is honestly black guys doing black guy things. There's this book that came out, I want to say about 20 years ago. I read it like halfway through before I just got sick of it. And it's called Black Planet, I believe. I can't remember who wrote it, but it's some white dude in Seattle who was writing this book. Basically, he was trying to come to terms with his NBA fandom while also recognizing it was tying into some weirdo race stuff like within him. And it wound up being this kind of first person account. And it's weird, man. And I had never considered that this white dude next to me watching basketball might be thinking about all this stuff. Like, I had never thought about how this might be causing some existential crisis within him. I just thought they was out here watching basketball, right? But I was listening to some pod. I can't remember what it was, but it was just somebody really just talking about Jokic and not, you know, basically all of the context of he doesn't jump that high. He doesn't run that fast. Da-da-da. And there's nobody in the NBA currently that I would say that we really enjoy watching. Like, this is actually a great question to, to ask. How many guys do we watch or enjoy watching in the NBA strictly because of what they do athletically at this point? We're like, that's the driving force. I would say John Morant certainly fits that description. Anthony Edwards to a degree, but I think the fun of Anthony Edwards, he also happens to be athletic. The fun of Anthony Edwards is really by and large the fact that he is, in fact, Anthony Edwards, and they seem to have only made one of those. Who else are we talking about here? I would say Giannis. Yes, I think that's fair. It's a little complicated because he's a giant. But yeah, there is a, oh my God, like mind-blowing facet. But what has been the biggest draw in the NBA for the last eight, nine years? It's been the Golden State Warriors. None of those guys were we watching based on what we consider to be athleticism in these terms. Now again, they had a seven-foot small forward who plays like a two-guard. So yeah, like there's an athlete there, but that's not that that wasn't what we were there for. LeBron James obviously is that guy, and even to this day, you still can wind up being amazed by what he can do athletically. But the next level with him obviously is the brain stuff. And when you look at who it was that was on the Cavs, like they're they were very great talents in a lot of ways, but not athletes in the ways that we now think about athletes. That's not it, right? So I really want you to go through and think about all the guys that you've thought about as being great at various points in time. And a lot of them could do amazingly athletic things. Like we would say Kevin Garnett, another guy, a great example of a guy that's obviously a great athlete, a seven-foot small forward, two-guard, basically, right? There was a game where Kevin Garnett did, in fact, play two-guard, and he had something like eight assists when he played for Minnesota. And this is before people started doing stuff like that, right? Back when going big was the game, not going small. He did those things. It was legitimately there. What makes basketball aesthetically interesting is the art of it. That's always been what it is when you really get down to it and stop and think about it. The subtlety of basketball is really what you find yourself appreciating the most. We don't have a game anymore because they turn it into a ball movement game and less of an isolation game, which is understandable, made sense on a number of levels, everything else. 
But like a dude like Carmelo Anthony, for example, I think there's a younger generation of fans that struggle to appreciate him in a way that a different generation can because the ability to like face some dude up and just have him like in the phone booth basketball. I love it. Love it. Now, how much it contributes to winning everything else? Da, da, da. Okay, those are whole different discussions. But there's an art to that. And, there, and Mello, by the way, another guy that we never thought of as being some spectacular athlete or running and jumping. You never heard anybody complain about that when it came to Mello. You never heard anybody try to make that argument that like, wow, you guys just can't appreciate a guy who's so fundamentally good like Carmelo Anthony. Nobody did that. Nobody did. We didn't do it to Zach Randolph. When you know, granted, okay, Zach Randolph's not this caliber of player, but I think you still understand where I'm coming from. They didn't do that. Just say you can't figure out what to do with the big goofy looking white dude. To me, that's what again, the irony of this in part is what's wild. But like, once Jokic is taking these dudes to the post, yo, he's out here doing Elijah Wad moves. He's out here doing Kevin McHale stuff. Right? By the way, a guy that nobody was talking about, boy, that Kevin McHale just not athletic, but something. I mean, I guess some. There's always some white person trying to come up and say that. Don't get me wrong. But, like, Jokic is doing that, and he's shooting threes, and he's doing all of this other stuff. And so I was reading this article over the weekend. I think it was in The Guardian that was trying to, like, you know, talk about the make sense of Jokic and all of this stuff. And the problem with the story was the guy was, like, basically he made the point that Jokic is like a, a, a truck who does ballet or something like that. But he he got locked in on this idea that Jokic doesn't just do big man things. I'm like, go ask Bam if Jokic ain't down there doing big man things. He's getting down there, putting his ass on them dudes and doing up fakes and hook shots and everything else. He's doing all that stuff. But part of what's messed people up with Jokic is they can't help but talk about him in the context of what he doesn't do. They can't help that. They can only get into it talking about what he's not, all right? Because I think subconsciously for them, they're in it for almost this fetishized idea of basketball, of this other stuff, right? But what makes basketball a great product always has been the non-athletic things. It's always been that. Kobe Bryant's game is not defined by athleticism. In fact, the biggest reason Kobe couldn't be Mike is he just wasn't that caliber of athlete because nobody was the caliber of athlete that Mike was, just to be clear. That's no shade. But just run through it. Just stop and take your time. You'll always get to some super-duper hotshot prospects, right? Or like little guys who were athletic, you know, like Allen Iverson, for example, who's just an incredible athlete for his size. Like, you'll get that caliber dude. But like Tim Duncan... Like, the guys that are great, and, and I think Tim Duncan's a bad example because he's a great player that nobody really cared about watching. But even the ones you wanted to watch, how many of them is it just because they out here running and dunking on people? I bet you're going to find out. It's not as many as you think. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training, just in time for summer and warmer days. I've been in the gym a little bit trying to get my fitness in check so I can break these skinny allegations I keep getting. And spring is the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering off. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute core session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance. Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals while challenging yourself at every level. Now you can catch up on your favorite NBA games with NBA League Pass while you push yourself to new levels of fitness. Watch your favorite games and win your workouts with NBA League Pass on Peloton and visit OnePeloton.com. Peloton all-access membership and NBA League Pass subscription required. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. All 
You know, I'm not even going to lie. I just said this like quietly to the staff before, but I'm going to say it here out loud right fast. Y'all didn't think there was nothing else to talk about with the NBA Finals, did you? I didn't either till we started doing that whole segment, baby. That's how we be out here making the magic happen. This is why y'all come here on Monday. Man, we were scraping the bowl, and you're going to know we scraping the bowl because I'm going to talk about something called Baby Gronk. I don't know if y'all heard of Baby Gronk. I, to be clear, had never heard of Baby Gronk until The Athletic did a story on Baby Gronk's father, which should tell you everything you need to know about where this is going wrong. That sentence right there, The Athletic did an interview with Baby Gronk's father. Now, who is Baby Gronk? Baby Gronk is some 10-year-old child um, on the internet. He apparently is some caliber of athlete of sorts. He looks to be a un, um, uncommonly cock diesel to be a 10-year-old kid. But he is a 10-year-old kid uh, nonetheless. And he's got himself an internet following. And wherever there's a 10-year-old with an internet following... There is a ridiculous parrot right around the corner. And we have the ridiculous dad of Baby Gronk. And so the story with the title, Who is Baby Gronk, the father of the social media sensation, shares his plan. Okay. Yes. I'm going to read the introductory paragraph for you. Jake San Miguel rented a Mercedes-Benz Sprinter van and is currently doing what so many other fathers are doing this month. He's driving his son around the country from college town to college town for unofficial visits and to participate in youth instructional football camps. On Wednesday evening, he was in Lafayette, Indiana, on his way to Ohio State. What? And there's another sentence in here. He's a 10-year-old who is supposedly the next big thing in college football recruiting. He's 10 years old. The next big thing in college football recruiting when he's 14 rarely is a big deal when he is 17. That's not, it's not how this goes. So basically, you get into the story about the dude, and like the kid takes a bunch of pictures with like famous coaches and stuff like that. And they, you know, they got some videos up there of him doing some ridiculous things. By the way, did you guys uh, see what baby Gronk's first name is? You ready? I want you, I want some microphones on cause you're going to react. Right. His first name is Madden. Come on. Oh, <laughs> M a D D E N. Yes. Yes. Now, this is the quote from Jake, who's Baby Gronk's daddy. I've had a plan for my son since before he was born. It's playing out now. Just in case you thought this was about the kid, right? Just in case you thought the kid was like, yo, this is what I want to do. No, 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 no. This was the plan from the very beginning before the kid was even born because this is this dad trying to be this dude. This is what he wants. This is how he wants it. Now, I just want to throw something out here right fast at you and in in case you're wondering how it is that I came across the Baby Gronk story. So as I've told you guys a few times, I have kind of removed myself from the public Twitter timeline because you people are ridiculous. So I don't really be on there, but I do still check my mentions. And I check my mentions. And I see that Todd Marinovich is trending. Now, some of you may be a little too young to know who Todd Marinovich is. Okay. Todd Marinovich is the first athlete I ever remember watching and seeing an interview after a game and thinking to myself, I think that guy's high. And I was 11 or 12. May have even been younger. But for those of you who don't know, Tom Marinovich played quarterback at USC. He wanted to be the first round pick uh, for the Raiders. And he was a really, 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 really big deal. But he also had this father who had trained him since birth 
to be a star athlete and had him on the diets with no sugars and all like the way Tom Brady eats. This boy had been eating like that his whole life, you know, because his dad was breeding a quarterback. If I'm not mistaken, and this is also a weird move by his dad. His dad was a former athlete uh, himself, but this is a weird move by his dad. But as I recall, his dad made him left-handed. Like did things to make it to where he didn't have use of his right hand so that he would be left-handed. Yeah, Parker. Seems a little strange, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm just trying to figure out why you would do that. He just... believed that his he was trying to create the super athlete. Like he just figured if you started early, and again, I've seen no evidence in all these cases of all these people who try to start this out super early with these kids on athletics. Have you seen any evidence that that works? Like, by and large with this stuff, either you got it or you don't. Would have made sense if he was a baseball player, the left-handed thing. Yeah, there'd be something to that, right? But it's either you got it or you don't. Like, I think we've seen this over and over again. So many people, there are more people who turn up having not played no organized ball until they were 15 and then getting there than I think there are these people who have been bred from birth with the idea that you can make it happen. Either you got it or you don't. But there's always some dad who thinks he can figure it out. And they put these kids on these regimented schedules, right? And what we learn every time about childhood, it cannot be suppressed forever. No matter who it is, no matter how you play it, if you make a child a grown-up, that will turn into a grown-up who behaves like a child. It never fails. People have to get it out of them. Like there's a certain point at which maturity becomes important and everything else. But what they got going here is you're, you're, you're setting something up for a kid that requires a maturity that's simply impossible for somebody his age. They just can't win. The end is always bad. When people are comparing your kid to Todd Marinovich, it's bad. It's bad. The only time it might not be bad if somebody's comparing your kid to Ty Marinovich is if they saying that they look like him and the only person I could think of that looks like him is Buddy from Pete and Pete. Y'all remember Pete and Pete? Doesn't, that, doesn't one of those Pete's look kind of like Ty Marinovich? It's the yeah. one of the Pete's that be turning up as a murderer on SVU. Like, <laughs> Parker's so lost. Parker, Pete and Pete were long gone before Parker was ever born. I'm so glad that Dad is just enough in the window to remember Pete and Pete. But there used to be the show on Nickelodeon called The Adventures of Pete and Pete. And one of those Pete's look a lot like Tom Marinovich. And I have to be careful because if there's anything that gets thrown into the they all look alike category, it's redheads. All of them. Pete, Pete, Andy Dalton, um... What's his name? Sonny Jurgensen? Wasn't he a redhead back in the day? I don't know. But we'd be throwing them all in the same boat. But Tom Marinovich looked like he could be one of them Pete's. That's it. But when I saw Tom Marinovich was trending, my first thought was, damn, R.I.P. Tom Marinovich ain't that old, right? And the reason I thought R.I.P. is that would have been a reasonable outcome. Kind of amazing he made it this far. Just because we watched what all the stuff was that he dealt with to get to the place. And we saw it end with drugs and everything else. And I'm just amazed. Maybe people just don't read, right? Like maybe just this our disregard for what has happened previously makes it impossible for us to just look and say, we don't have a positive case study on trying to breed your kid like this. At least not in this country, right? Maybe they do it over there in the other countries and it goes, right? Maybe that's what's going on with soccer, whatever it is, okay, right? I don't really understand that. But I know in this country and the sort of approach that this guy has taken, I can't think of a time that it's really worked. And somebody's always trying to run it. And it's always, well, not always, because Mar- like Mar Marinovich, again, was an athlete himself. But it's very often some amateur like this guy who just got this dream. And the worst thing about it for me in reading the story about him is he's talked himself into the idea that he's doing it for the kid. And his thought is, basically, get all this internet money, putting his kid on the stroll now, Right? So that his kid can have a decent future later. That's his plan. Just in case the football just in case the football doesn't work out. Just in case. 
you know, you, you, you need a contingency plan, for so, even though it seems so likely, right? Just in case it doesn't work out. Bo, can we talk about how puberty works? Yes. Like, how many kids did you know that were, like, made the center of the basketball team in sixth grade because they were the tallest? Correct. And then never grew again? Correct. This kid's not even five feet tall. It's entirely possible. He's ten. Yes. 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 This is ridiculous. This is totally preposterous. And his idea is, again, set him up for a future later. Hey, man, maybe that boy just needs to, like, I know a good way to set yourself up for a future. It doesn't look like it's as good as way as it used to be, but it's something to consider. It's called good grades. Have you thought about that? Have you thought about that? Hey, look, 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 look. I don't have kids, okay? And I grew up in a little bit of a different house than most people. But I am willing to entertain the possibility that at some point early in the game, Some of y'all got to look at your kids and be like, okay, he's going to need a gimmick. You know, like sometimes you look, you recognize, all right, this is not, success is going to have to come um, in a more non-traditional path. Maybe that's what happened here, right? Maybe he has decided that if this boy's ever going to make a lot of money, now is the time. Maybe he's right about that. I'm just telling you. What I see there is a recipe for an unhappy child. And what what I see and realize as my life goes farther and farther, and I'm like trafficking different circles than I used to. You know, like I'm not flexing on that. I think you understand what I'm saying, though. Like I've had, I got access to people with different levels of success and honestly different levels of money. And what I'm realizing more and more, and it becomes more solidified every day. Happy's the game, man. And all this other stuff and everything else ain't none of it replacing the happy. And everything you think is taking care of this kid because da-da-da and everything else ain't none of it replacing the happy. The happy has still got to be the most important thing. Like you want to make sure your kids are secure and all these things or whatever. But ain't nothing replacing the happy. And I just want to know what of breeding a 10-year-old to be an athletic star sounds like happiness for that kid. It just don't seem like it. And I think that's a lesson, honestly, that all of us can take into all the other stuff we do. Like, it becomes not just about baby Gronk, man. If you're not playing the game, like, I think people really want their kids to be good at something. They think that that matters a lot more than it does. Like, I think it matters to a degree in terms of identity, and it gives you a certain confidence to know that you've got this thing that you're good at. But I think that people who don't think they're good at anything feel like they can't pass up the chance for their kid to be like good at something like think about all the hours that people put in to be good at stuff that ain't gonna make nobody no money just for the sake of being good at it like if the kid that's participating likes it and loves it and like wants to hone their craft in that way okay cool that's it but otherwise what we doing here like like what really is the point otherwise and is it adding to happy and if it's not, man, I just think you need to ask yourself, what the hell are you doing here? Because I don't know about you. Somebody called my kid Baby Gronk. I wouldn't be sure it was a compliment. I'd be like, hey, what exactly do you mean? We know you can't be on top of all the news and information of the day. No need for the social media feeds. We got you. Now, if you haven't heard. If you haven't heard is presented by YouTube TV. Try it free today at youtube.com slash NBA 23. New users only. Terms apply. Cancel any time. All right. This first story is from Tech. Hey, Bomani. This is Aaron Gordon from Motherboard Vice's Tech and Science website. This week I wrote an article about uh, some ads that Uber has been running online that have to do with congestion pricing in New York City. Uh, the ads are pretty confusing, and when you read them, it's not clear what Uber is actually advocating for or against. The ads say things like, who already pays for congestion pricing, uh, and indicates that Uber riders pay $2.75, while personal cars, Amazon trucks, and gas-powered trucks pay zero. So the ads uh, have been running for the last couple of weeks. And when I asked Uber, like, what the point of these ads are and what they're advocating for and what they actually want, Uber says that they're actually extremely for congestion pricing because congestion pricing would be good for its business. Its cars could go faster. They could pick up passengers more regularly. 
and uh, in theory, you know, move faster through downtown and and midtown Manhattan, which is where the congestion pricing charge will apply. Uh, so then I asked, why? Well, why are you running these ads that sound like you're you're hostile to congestion pricing? And they say, well, they're actually angry about the specific $2.75 per trip fee, and they're mad that congestion pricing is not being applied in the specific way that they think would work best for their business. So they're running these ads, um, but they say it's extremely clear that Uber is for congestion pricing as long as you click on those ads, um, which I know we all do when we see online advertisements. Uh, Thanks so much. Enjoy the show. Talk to you later. Hey, man, so this is the thing to me about congestion pricing. For people who don't know, congestion pricing in New York is like when you're driving below 60th Street, they tr- there's so many cars, they're trying to figure out a way. So it's basically a toll on driving in those areas um, at peak hours. And I was just looking at a story not too long ago um, about that. I think it was in CNN. And they talking about like proposals on congestion prices range between nine and twenty three dollars nine and twenty three dollars Woo, man i would be driving down there hey y'all almost want this bad hell no nah. because they gotta they gotta get this mta back cracking because that's the thing uh the subway is not bringing in the money like it used to and let me tell you something i ain't never felt like more of a dummy for paying the fare in my life that I have recently uh, in, in in the subway station. It's open season. And by the way, it ain't just who you would think it is either. It's a lot of khakis and plaid shirts out there running through the emergency exit. Like, people just done stopped. They've just decided that this stuff don't cost no money. I can't live like that, man. Like, what I look like trying to skate out of 275. But I do feel like I'm doing it wrong, and they the ones doing it right. Every single time. I see them jokers bumping around. But, yeah, Uber... Feeling like it's just been put on them is interesting, and I could totally see why they would feel that way, and I could totally see why the city uh, would decide that that was the game that they was going to play with them. But this is more pandemic after effects stuff, man. Like, the infrastructure in this city of what goes on with the cars and the trains and everything else, the economy of this city is based on people largely taking trains and going to offices and working and then taking trains to leave those offices. And now people don't go to those offices like they used to. And everything's gone crazy. All right, this next story is from police. Hi, this is Brittany Shamus. I'm a reporter with the Washington Post. An NYPD officer is suing over the courtesy cards made by the city's largest police union for officers to hand out to their families, friends, and anyone else of their choosing. The wallet-sized cards are designed to be flashed during low-stakes encounters with police to signify that the cardholder knows someone on the force. They've been called get-out-of-jail-free cards by critics, and showing one during a traffic stop often means that you're sent on your way with a warning. The officer behind the lawsuit, Matthew Bianchi, sees the card system as corrupt and unfair. He says it allows those with connections to get away with reckless driving, while those without are disproportionately penalized. As a member of the NYPD's traffic unit, he said as many as half the drivers he pulled over showed one. Officers are expected not to ticket drivers who have the cards, he said but he disagreed with that unwritten policy and wrote tickets for cardholders when he felt it was warranted. In one case he told me about, a driver was going double the speed limit on a street where crashes were common. The driver didn't have a valid license, but he did have a courtesy card. Bianchi wrote him up anyway. He said his decision to disregard the cards and speak out against them got him in trouble with his colleagues, who called superiors to complain. He claims the final straw was when he ticketed a friend of the NYPD's highest-ranking uniformed officer, Days later, he said he was removed from the traffic unit and effectively demoted. Bianchi is now suing in federal court, claiming the department violated his free speech rights to speak out about a matter of public concern. He said doing so has basically cost him his career, but he doesn't regret it, even if he doesn't expect the department to do the right thing by him. So here's an interesting paragraph from that story. Um, Bianchi patrolled on Staten Island where he estimated as many as half the drivers he stopped carried the cards. Officers can buy 30 of them a year at $1 each, he said. He added that they are not only, they are handed out not only to friends and family, but also in recognition of benefits such as meal discounts, something he sees as a violation of the impartiality of expect, expected of the police. 
the important two words I gave you there were Staten Island. And I say that because Staten Island is a place where the locals are a bit more likely to be friends with the cops. Right? We know who is and is not a cop. We know how this goes. I would love to see some statistics on how it goes when your black ass flash that police card and whether or not it gets treated with the same respect when it goes out there. Because, look, there's just going to be an imbalance in how this goes and how those cards go out and uh, everything else. The thing to me that's so interesting about it is there's so many things. There's, like, those cards. There's the you make a donation when the people come by your door and they give you some little sticker or whatever. I see a lot of people with thin blue line stickers, and I don't necessarily think that's a reflection of their politics. They just out here trying to get out of getting tickets or whatever it is. And I got to say, I don't see how y'all get y'all cars fast enough in New York City to get no ticket. Like running a red light, I see how y'all do that. I don't see how you ever get your car up over 25, 30 miles an hour driving in this piece. Like, maybe that's different down in the outer boroughs where you got some space. Maybe you can get up a little speed or whatever it is. But, man, no, nah, this is interesting. That man decided to take a stand on this, and they, they try to shut him down over these cards. Imagine if you try to enact some actual change. Actual change. I just read something this morning. So they can't bust people for the weed no more. So apparently now what they do it is they getting people for drinking outside. Yeah, they they getting people on that. They've given out more tickets. Like I think something like the last year, they given out more tickets for people drinking outside than they had for the four years previous. Like that's how they decided that they just gonna go around and mess with people. All right, you say you don't like it smelling like weed. That's all it's gonna smell like. You keep acting like that. All right, this last story is from Tech. Hey there, this is Fortessa Latifi. I'm a features reporter with Teen Vogue, and I'm covering what the rise of artificial intelligence means for deep fake porn and how victims are left behind by legislation that lags behind technological changes. I talked to Lauren, who was the subject of deep fake porn, after she turned down a guy named Dan who approached her at the gym. When she said she wasn't interested, she thought that would be the end of it, but he became aggressive and frustrated, saying she should give him a chance. Thanks to deepfake and face swap technology, Dan was easily able to make a deepfake video of Lauren, and he even posted the video to Instagram tagging Lauren and promising to make it a reality. He was banned from the gym, but Lauren didn't want to return either. Even though the video was fake, she felt ashamed. A lawyer advised her that she didn't have a case to sue for defamation. That's because there are currently no federal laws against deepfake porn which leaves victims without legal recourse. Though a bill called Preventing Deepfakes of Intimate Images Act has been introduced to the U.S. House of Representatives by New York Representative Joseph Morelli, as of publication, the bill is not advanced. Yo, this is the part that kind of strikes me about this. And I was having a conversation the other day, and it's something that I've talked about here in a lot of places, which is just kind of the decline of trust in our society and the level of cynicism and skepticism that we have toward everything. Like, Jamie Foxx's people don't had to put something out about how he did not get a brain clot, I mean, a blood clot in his brain from getting the vaccine or something like that. And his idea has been pushed out. Like, there's nothing that can't be turned into a conspiracy. People were asking questions about all the smoke that was in New York City the other day, right? Like, whether that was some variety of conspiracy. You know, like, people are down to think, the question, anything, unless you see some woman engaged in something pornographic, they just gonna believe that's what it is. Like, we know we got all this technology. We know all these things. We know all the stuff that could go wrong. Ain't nobody going to question that woman. If, that, if, it, if, it, if it's that woman in there, they ain't questioning that. You know what I'm saying? Like, they, they, they'll jump into that because they want to believe that. Like, they want to have that. And I saw heard that story. And, of course, like, the AI element makes it all terrifying. Like, oh, my God, the worst things that could happen. But the AI isn't, in this case, what makes it terrifying. I guess you can make this argument about other AI stuff. But particularly for this one, I want to make the point that this one, this isn't, this isn't what's terrifying. The terrifying fact is the fact that there's some dork that's out here actually willing to do this. For what? Like, like what, what, like, what? All she did was tell you no thanks. That's it. And that's the frightening part, is we have bred this generation of these dudes that don't know how to handle it when somebody tells them no and feel just so generally entitled in this level of just kind of male anger that is permeating all over the place in ways that in a society that's been largely powered by male anger, you see more and more and more and more and more of it. And I'm just, I, I just struggle to understand the idea that you'd be so mad under them circumstances that you would go through those lengths. And the only thing that you get from it is to embarrass this woman, right? Like, 
you know, there's this woman as I hear, you know, tweeting about Zion all the time. Like, I think that she's being ridiculous. I want to be very clear. But I could at least understand the idea of catharsis, right? Like, she is purging her pain before the world. It is very emotional and all of those things. Okay, I get that. The folks doing this stuff, like this deep fake stuff, ain't nothing emotional about that. It's just cruel. Like, I just don't see, you're not getting anything out of this. I don't see any release or anything that you're getting out of this. All you're doing is hurting somebody. That's it. And that is just the wildest thing in the world to me. I'm going to tell you now. Cats better watch out. Somebody going to come see y'all about this stuff. It's going to be one dude or another. But somebody going to come see you. And it seemed very clear to me that people who engage in this behavior are not people who can fight. I actually have like an added point. Not only like, why are you doing this? Who created this? Like who created the ability to make these videos of these people, of these deep fakes? Because I don't see the purpose of it other than like abusing women. Yeah, for, well, I guess there's other conic, conish ways that you could use deep fake stuff, right? But I think you raise a good point though. So much of this stuff is we come up with it and we think about later whether or not it's a good idea. Just doing it because you can and then they're like, yo, somebody will figure it out. And then the first people to figure it out are the dastardly. Voicemails are brought to you by YouTube TV. Try it free today at youtube.com slash NBA 23. New users only. Terms apply. Cancel anytime. Hey, this is Bomani. You have reached the right time voicemail. Say whatever you want. Get creative with it. But this is your place to talk back to the show. So talk back. Peace. The voicemail topic is tell us the most lowdown thing you've done for money. Oh, boy. This first one's from Donovan in Virginia. Hey, what's happening, Bomani? Long time listening, man. This is uh, Donovan out of Virginia. So a uh, story about some lowdown stuff for money. I was working at a chicken factory, uh, you know, through college and, uh, it was some some girls might use it, you know. They were cool, and they uh, worked on the line with me. Uh, long story short, one of the girls' grandfather was a maintenance man at this place, and I understand like so the maintenance men are not like janitors or anything like that. I mean like actual <laughs> engineers and mechanics and things like that. So majority of them are paid very very well, and I mean <laughs> the ones that are older, they've been getting paid very very well for a very long time. So long country money, if you understand what I'm saying. Anyways, uh, <laughs> one of the girls' grandfather used to come and be very, very friendly and flirty with them. And, uh, he was also one of them old men, real, real nasty, awful young girl. So I'm like, hey, you need a bill page, you need this, you need that. Let's just say, um, <laughs> one day homeboy came over and made his, uh, offers and his granddaughter wasn't around. And what she thought was her friend, yeah, she may have got caught in the plant doing some things to her friend's grandfather. Love show, bro, man. Y'all do things. Oh. I wish America could see Dan Stancic's face right now. That was a mortifying thought for Dan. Yo, Grant Dan. Whoo. Yee, yee. At the chicken plant. Damn. Whoo. Let's move on. I mean, sure. <laughs> uh, this next one's from Kenny in St. Petersburg. So what up, Bo? This is Kenny, man, from St. Petersburg, Tampa Bay area, Florida. You already know what it is. I do. We were playing cars one night at my crib. I invited some partners over, and I had my girl over, and one of the partners had one of his partners over. I didn't really know him like that, but we playing spade, we drinking. So they whooping our butt, man, and he got heated talking all this mess in my crib. So, you know, I, you know, stood up and like, bro, what's up, man? He got all froggy. So we got into it, you know, throwing down in the kitchen, knocking over the table. So they wind up breaking us up, man. And his old lady, before they broke us up, she tried to jump in and she caught one of the back ends, man. You know what I'm saying? Kind of caught her in the face. She was like one or two months pregnant or whatever. So she was all devastating and hysterical and called the police and by crib. And they came and took me to jail, man. And so, you know. I stayed in jail for about a week. You know, I had to get a lawyer and all that. I had to wait to see the judge. But, you know, I can afford a lawyer, so I wound up getting that case dismissed and getting up out of that. But before then, my uncle then was trying to get me out. He got a secretary that I know. You know, he got his own business. She white. She about 55. My mom, 
was about 60 at the time. So she was about five years younger than my mom. I was in my early 30s. So she was about 20-some years older than me. So she wanted to come bail me out. But I had to come live with her for about two or three months. She didn't want the money back. She wanted Jimmy. Man, so I had to do this about every other night, man. I'm talking about had to, man, I had to do it both, man, and it got, it was worse, man. I'd rather pay her back the money because I really wasn't attracted to her like that. She wasn't a bad-looking female, man, but I had to do what I had to do, bro. That's my story. Instead of paying back money, I had to pay back with my Jimmy. I appreciate you, bro. I'm a long-time listener. And, man, when Brady came down here in Tampa, I ain't like the way you was talking about the Tampa Bay area, bro. Come on, man. It's a lot of bum cities in America, man. Tampa Bay ain't one of them. Appreciate you, bro. Okay. I just want to point this out. I have a very good friend, my man Jeff Cameron in Tallahassee, does radio. And I met him in 2006 at the ACC tournament. And he is from Tampa. And what he talks about in doing his show, whenever he talked about Tampa, he always calls it Shady Tampa. Because Tampa is a shady place. This man went and told that story. And then at the end said, I shouldn't be talking about Tampa the way I've been talking about Tampa. And what I've been saying about Tampa is that Tampa is a shady place. And that man decided to say that after he told us one of the shadier stories that I, you, or anyone else has ever heard. Which is to say, I will not change what I have been saying about Tampa, and it is in part your fault. That was quite a, uh, how much was the bail? That's all I want to know. How much was the bail? Because he had the money for the lawyer, but not the money for the bail. And it went, it took all the, like I'm just saying, you don't know nobody in Tampa that could have got your bail. It's not a reflection, at least on your side of town. It's a lot going on. It's a lot. It's a lot. I didn't see that taking all those twists and turns. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, that was our last voice. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't think we need anything else. I don't. We could have broke that into two voicemails, actually. Um, Like, she's like, she didn't want the money. She just wanted that other thing. Couldn't you have gone and got the money and then bought your freedom? Like, was she turning down your money? Did anybody. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on The Right Time. We do this three times a week. Parker always a dance, dancing, handling everything behind the scenes. Thank you, gentlemen. Also, thank you to our If You Haven't Heard contributors. Thanks to Aaron Gordon of Vice. Check out his story about Uber's bizarre congestion pricing ads at Vice.com. Thanks to Brittany Shamus of The Washington Post. Check out her story on the NYPD officer suing over get-out-of-jail-free cards. And thank you to Fortessa Latifi. Check out her story on deep fake porn victim legislation at teenvogue.com. Remember, follow the right time. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. We'll talk to you guys in a couple of days. Take it easy. Thanks for checking out the right time with Bomani Jones podcast. You can listen or follow on the ESPN app or wherever you listen to podcasts. The right time with Bomani Jones.